I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real life experiences and the tools they've developed to help them move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. So excited today because I have a friend, Holly, who's going to be on. I met Holly in 2010 through the process of campaigning and met this lady. She had this big, beautiful baby bump. (laughs) and I instantly fell in love and I was out campaigning I think it was for Hatch and she wasn't the biggest fan and I didn't I didn't care because I fell in love with her for who she was immediately I'm like this person I want in my life for the rest of my life and um, we have stayed in touch and been friends ever since and so Holly thank you so much for coming on today This is my absolute pleasure. Michelle, meeting you, I felt the same way. And you know what? I did vote for Hatch when it's all said and done. Well, she ran the campaign well then. She convinced you. She did. (laughs) And honestly, when I met her, her light drew me to her. I wanted to be her when I grew up. I wanted everything and anything I could do to be close to her. And I was eight months pregnant. um, She was beautiful. When I was a state delegate. And I had zero filter with these candidates. So None. here I am just barking off questions, <laughs> and which I normally wouldn't probably be as in eloquent. But Michelle just sat back and beamed like, oh, you go, girl. You oh, get this. I love her. I loved her. I loved her energy. And her lo- heels were fantastic. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I bet the they were. dresses to impress. I, I can picture that now. Okay, Holly, tell us a little bit, besides your political connection to uh, Senator Hatch and Michelle, tell us about yourself, your family. Kind of give us a little background. Uh, most of us, including me, we don't even know you. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, I currently live in Stansbury Park in Tooele County. My mother lives out here with her husband. My father was a police officer 41 years in West Valley City in the Fraternal Order of Police as well as the ATF. He was also married to um, police officers. He had two marriages, both to women um, that are in law enforcement. So I was raised around law enforcement my entire life. There were six of us in our house, one of which uh, is also in law enforcement. He's a deputy in Summit County and my baby brother. I'm very close to my family always been my best friend growing up. I met my husband over 20 years ago. We have two beautiful children. One just turned 12 on caucus night of all days. He had to work 
bless his heart. And my daughter will be turning 10 in May. Oh, the cute baby um, bump. I'm a stay-at-home mom. That was the baby bump. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've been a stay-at-home mom uh, since they were born. And I work part-time at the Utah Motorsports Campus, which is also one of Michelle's Loves. favorites. She has a uh-huh. need for speed. We've so. heard a lot about that over the course <laughs> of this show. Oh, she's my hero, I'm telling you. If you haven't done this on Michelle yet, please do so. <laughs> I'm sure you have. But I got involved in politics that year that I met her, and I just had enough, and I went and became a delegate. And through that, I slowly got more involved and more involved, and I was elected. This is my third term of serving as the GOP county chair. Absolutely love it. I get to do that. That's mine. Being a stay-at-home mom, sometimes we feel like we're messing everything up. We feel like we're doing it wrong. We aren't providing enough, and I'm blessed enough to have a husband who who has worked so extremely hard to make sure that we kept that priority to us so that one of us was home, be it him or me. He did the first year, and then I did the last one. But it has been an absolute joy to be home with my kids and to be home when they're home. And I work part-time for the sports park. Whenever they need me, I consult for them and do a lot of things for them. I live in a community that I could not, I I don't want to tell everyone because the secret's already out. People are moving here like crazy. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm up in Weber County and it's like, everyone's coming north. (sighs) It's true. They're going north, they're going west. Yeah, they're coming out west. And this is a piece of paradise. I I live on the lake in Stansbury Park. We moved here 20 years ago and I absolutely love it. And what I've learned is, you know, I have a special relationship with those that we get elected and make a point to know all of them and to work with them and be involved. And my work with the FLP as well, they started a chapter in the Fraternal Order of Police under my father's name, the Jim Crowley Lodge, and I am the trustee for that lodge. My father was a national trustee, so it's truly an honor. Well, and, and Holly, I... I'm so glad you mentioned your father and your family's connection to law enforcement. And just kind of as a teaser for our listeners, we are going to have you back another day because you you mentioned your father, you mentioned his memory, you mentioned his decades of service as a police officer. We'll have you come on and tell us that story to learn a little bit more about him, about your family's experience with National Police Week in Washington, D.C., about your father's involvement with that. But first, before we got on uh, recording today, you were mentioning something about, you know, we've all shared loss of someone we love, uh, that physical life that ends the the funeral, the grief, the process, the darkness, and how that really is the greatest of of all losses. We kind of all agreed talking about how heavy that can be. But today we're going to talk about a different kind of loss, and it involves your home and a disaster and a fire and displacement and When we were first talking off the air, you mentioned something like, oh, stuff is just stuff, which I completely agree. Stuff is just stuff. And But I've never lived through a fire. I did have my home flood at the beginning of my husband's final deployment in 2018, and it was a disaster. I mean, they use the word disaster for a reason. It is disaster cleanup. It is disaster mitigation. It can be psychologically and emotionally a disaster. And though my husband's death is clearly far more significant in the grand scheme of things, I would say that personally speaking, the situation revolving around our home flood and being displaced 
and not knowing where we were going to live or wake up in the morning, that was psychologically more trying to me than the moment of learning of Brent's death. And that's a bold statement. So I would love for you to walk us through what happened with your disaster. Maybe give us a little bit of background and then tell us how this fire began and and what all was destroyed. Well, and first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. And I mean that for your husband, but also for the memories and the things you lose in a flood. Water is the most damaging thing. Smoke is terrible. Fire is terrible. But it's the water that they throw on that stuff that will mostly damage the stuff beyond repair. And I learned that in the fire. But to back up our home, it's funny. Sunday, my husband and I had gone to buy a new Christmas tree. Our kids were two and four at the time. We spent $350. He was just a huge tree, and he thought it was way too much, but it was due. We were due for a new tree. The big plan was to set everything up on Monday morning or Monday after he got off work. My husband is in the car business. And here I've got a two and four year old and I've prepared everything and he was late getting home. He didn't get home till nine thirty. Kids were in bed. So because he thought he was in hot water, he thought he'd surprise me and start early that morning and get everything prepared. Now my son had a really bad cough, a bronchitis cough. And so I took him in the guest room and he slept with me that night. And my husband had my daughter in our bedroom and he got up early. She got up early with him. She was two. And the next thing I know, from my perspective, is my fire alarm starts going off. This is all I know. And I said, honey, are you cooking something? He said, no, it's a fire. We need to get out. We need to get out. Well, I see smoke, but I'm like, how did did this happen? Again, I was a stay-at-home mom four years. I didn't know we even owned candles. He had found two candles. One was in our living room because it smelled like dog he said we have a german shepherd and he's like i wanted to make it smell like christmas so that when you woke up it smelled like pine and cinnamon and i'd have the tree up and we could decorate it his heart was in the right place he had also put one in our master bathroom on a shelf that we have above our toilet and not just above the toilet like on the side it was a way above the toilet now what had happened is he had, he had had our daughter on the couch playing her iPad, and he walked 30 feet to our garage where I had already had all the ornament boxes stacked. And he picked those boxes up, and he tried to get into the door, and he walks in and sets them down by where the, the tree is going up. And he sees our daughter coming out of our master bedroom with black smoke trailing behind her. Oh, my gosh. This took less than two minutes. Because everything was prepared. She still had she still had a smile on her face. And she was still happy. And this matters later because what what she had done, well, immediately, let me get back. My husband has OCD. So he goes into this list in his mind. He's telling me, get out, grab your purse, grab your phone, call 911. Um, and I'm thinking, just go put it out. He said, the smoke is black. We can't put it out. Something is burning, burning. We've got to get out. And so I grabbed my purse, grabbed my one kid under one arm, one kid under another, throw them in the car. He says, get the cars out of the garage. We had just done our Black Friday shopping that Black Friday before. This was December 2nd in 2014. And we had all this Black Friday shopping surprises for our kids, and it was hiding in the garage. My husband grabbed all of that, threw that in the back of his truck. 
um, he grabbed two bags of laundry, dirty laundry that was in my laundry room, two two baskets, threw them in the truck. I think he's crazy. In fact, I haven't heard the 911 call, but I guarantee you, I wasn't panicked because I thought, this is crazy. You lit a candle, it probably tipped over and started a towel on fire. I, I didn't. He goes, put some boots on. I'm wearing yoga pants and a tank top. It's December 2nd. <laughs> I you're never not, thought to grab my You're not jacket. planning to leave for a long time. No, I did not think I was leaving my house for the last time. Not in a second. My purse was on top of a jacket, which I loved. I didn't grab the jacket. I grabbed a pair of fur boots that were sitting just in the garage. Oh, I looked atrocious. <laughs> I got the cars out of the driveway. I parked it away from where my children could see the house, and I turned on a movie in the car. They had uh, weird screens on the back of their seat. So they watched Snow White. As the police came, it was our sheriff's office that came first. They were there within three minutes, and they helped us get my German Shepherd to a safe place. And my husband kept going back in, and they said, Sir, you can't go in, you can't go in. And we had just uh, put a fire pit in, and we had all these propane tanks inside that were full oh. in our garage. And he's like, I've got to get these out. You, you know, I'll tell you where they are, but we need to get these out. So that morning, to say it was surreal, I, I immediately went from not panicking to utter shock. As the smoke is piping through my attic vent, I mean, it was like a train. Um, I sent a picture, I believe, to Michelle that she can possibly yeah yeah we'll share that for sure it was just piping out so much and I thought okay this is terrible our roof is on fire or the attic is on fire we had an attic in this house that was 13 feet high and you couldn't put anything in it the people who built the house it was just empty space I mean they didn't even pitch the ceilings or anything it just was strange but it became just an immediate fire hazard what happened after we get out my husband is immediately put in an ambulance they were treating him for smoke inhalation so i kind of take over i have an ipad with me and so i sent my family hey we're okay but this is happening right now my father immediately gets on the road and starts heading my way and my mother who lives in elsinore at the time two and a half hours away also got on the road to come what had happened we found out after the fire investigator was that our two-year-old had climbed on the toilet, and then she climbed on the very back of the toilet, and she got up and reached up into that shelf, which neither of us, neither of us ever, ever in a million years thought she could do that. This is a little girl that would go get into my makeup, into my bathroom, and she would close the door behind her, and normally she couldn't get out. She could get in. She just couldn't get herself out. On this day, she didn't do that, and that saved her life. She... She did climb up. She knew she was doing something naughty. So she went and hid in my master closet under all my dresses with the fire, with the little candle. And the, the fire ignited my clothing and my husband's clothing just almost immediately. So that was the source of that that black smoke. Mm -hmm. Her face was covered in gray. Not one hair on her head was burned. And she was not afraid. And I tell you this because... She didn't walk out of that fire by herself. I had my spirituality redeemed like no other, that she was let out of that fire because she should have never made it. And 
when the fire department did the investigation and, and we had our insurance company there doing an investigation alongside of the state fire department investigators, they just were shocked that she survived. And had I never looked at her face when I grabbed her. I'm seriously, I did two grabs under each arm, grabbed kids, threw them in the car. It wasn't until my father arrived and he asked me how close was Ryan, that's my daughter, to this fire. And I said, what do you mean? I hadn't gotten a report yet from the investigator, so I have no idea what he's talking about. And he said, you haven't seen her? I said, no. And so I went over and I could not believe how covered she was in this foot. I mean, point of origin, I had a safe in there. It was totally melted. There was a gun in my safe. There was an extra cell phone. There was a laptop. All melted. What? Uh, the mm-hmm. fire was so intense. And she just and it walked started out in of the it. Master. She walked out of it. Wow. Yeah. Amazing there, and story. she was smiling. She was smiling and happy when she was coming out of our bedroom when he, so, my husband first saw her. So the house is completely burnt. I mean, it starts in the master closet. You get out. Your husband. Savvy enough to recognize, hey, this isn't just go throw a cup of water on it. We got to get out of here. How extensive is the damage to the home? How do you get it out? How long did it take him to get it out? The fire department showed up minutes after the police. I mean, I live in an unincorporated area in our county, and I can tell you, wow, our services were phenomenal. Um, They fought so hard. They fought so hard. What the problem is, is from our closet, it went into that attic. It spread all the way across the attic, which means I watched my whole roof burning, but none of my windows blew out. So I thought, okay, it's just the roof. It's just the roof. Um, there's not fire happening inside the home. And I'm, I'm either filming it or I'm crying and feeling sorry for myself or I'm, I'm just, I'm in shock is what's happening. Uh, a neighbor came up and said, you need to call your insurance company. And get them here. And I thought, well, the fire's not out yet. And she said, you get them here. They want to be here during the fire. Many people don't know that. I didn't know I would that. not yeah, I would have, have thought, thought of that, that at all. I would have waited till everything was done. In fact, yeah. our house flooded on New Year's Day, and I figured we needed to call them the next day because that was a holiday. Yeah. So shows yep. what I know. And, and they want to be on site. And thank goodness we did because it's a battle of the insurance company. It's just a year in itself of another heartbreak. And, you know, there's a lot of things, and I, I went through with our local fire department a list of things that I would tell a homeowner that's in this situation again. Another thing is to call the Red Cross. They come out. Um, it's heartbreaking because, you know, they'll give you a card that will take care of your family to get clothes and maybe get some items that you need that night. But they also give you a place to stay if you need it. And I said, well, I I have a place. I'll go to my dad's house. And it broke my heart to think. I said, do people really have nowhere to go? And they said, you'd be surprised. This is something people always use. And I thought, I'm devastated by that, that they have nowhere to go. Of course, not everybody can take in a family of four and a German shepherd. But I I said, please take that money and give it to another family. I remember sitting, and this is, this is so, it just will stay in my mind forever, sitting across the street at my dear neighbor's house, the Hales, who, who had been dear neighbors forever. I was in their driveway watching my house just burn. And at this point, they quit putting the fire out. The actual roof caved in 
on top of the Stansbury Fire Department, caved in on top of them. It cut their hose in half to where they had to get Northville County Fire in there to get a new hose. I start yelling, please get them out. Let the house burn down. Don't let anyone die in my home. I was so scared for these first responders who were champions, like champions, and they're a volunteer department, I might add. And I'm sitting across the street sobbing. I'm feeling so sorry for myself. I'm just like, look at all I've lost, my baby pictures, my baby pictures, my yearbooks, my childhood story. Luckily, my babies were on Facebook. You know, I'd had them up in the cloud. You know, technology was really great. But my era didn't have any of that saved. My husband and I had an extensive memorabilia collection. He collects everything under the sun. So do I. It has to do with sports and things like that. We didn't have that insured in a special rider. Uh, we'd just been changing insurance companies for the best rate. And we had recently changed our company about three years prior when the market was upside down. And we had it at loan value, our home, in case of an emergency. We had changed it back to market value when it started to come back up. In 08 is when the houses wall were underwater, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we went back to back to market value once it kind of came up again. But we never changed our asset value. And we had obtained so many assets in the, in the 14 years we'd lived there. We never changed that. I didn't have a writer for my wedding ring, which was lost. I didn't have so many things that you never think about. You just wouldn't think to have a separate writer for all of that. You just think, I've got coverage. I thought that your your fire coverage covers things like your personal jewelry. No? Only if you have a, you have to have a, a writer that actually says it's worth and photos of it. And it's added to the policy on top of, like, you insure your home. Sadly, our asset coverage was at $166,000. In the course of 15 years or 14 years, we had already refurnished our entire house. We had totally redid everything, the walls, the floors, the carpets. None of that. We never changed. We attained assets, but we, we never changed our policy value. We never thought of it. And most people don't. And most people don't realize that if you have a detached garage or something you've built on your property, if you don't have that included in your coverage and it catches fire, you lose that. They don't cover it. So make sure you check your policy. That day when the fire department was there and the lady had come about uh, Red Cross and our insurance company guy showed up, we called everyone. I'm sure, Michelle, you probably know Eric Gumbrecht and Chris Lone. Yes, I love them. Yes, other people out there I love Uh, so much. I had spent the entire weekend prior with Berna and Chris looking for property for my uncle who was moving here. When Berna saw in the news there was a fire, she looked up the address and she goes, my God, it's Holly. And they were like the first on the scene between Berna and Eric and Chris and Austin, Eric's wife. They literally held me up. I I didn't know whether to fall or to break or to scream or, you know, to do nothing. I didn't know what to do. I'm sitting across the street and I'm sobbing and feeling sorry for myself. And a little voice in my head 
So stop this. You lost nothing today. You gained everything. Go kiss that little girl. Go smell her hair. Go touch her face. Because she's not in a little tiny bag in your driveway right now. And neither are you. Because there's no way I'd have left that house without her. There's none. There's no way. And I immediately stopped crying. I went to the car. I kissed her face. I hugged her tight. And she said to me in her two-year-old voice, Sorry, Mom. Oh, what a sweet <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Mom. Such and innocence. Yeah. Yes. I thought, I am going to use this against you in your high school years. Yeah, just you wait, little girl. Me. But for now, I'm glad you're safe. <laughs> oh, hi. And I was so blessed. Now, let me tell you the best part, which takes you back to my person a little bit. Now, I grew up in law enforcement, around law enforcement. I lived in a police car every year in high school. I didn't date. I loved, I wanted to be a cop myself. But being in my father's police car was my favorite time. And I grew up around firemen and EMTs on these different calls. When I knew my house was a total loss, I could see they're trying to just keep to the right of my house to keep my neighbor's house from catching fire. The fire had already melted our neighbor's siding, like, terribly. I know they're done, but they haven't come to me and said, look, your, your house is lost. There's a whole row of them standing in front of me, and there's the fire truck, and then there's a whole row fighting the fire on the right side. The roof is already caved in. I know my house is completely destroyed on the inside now. Everything's fine, so that roof caved in. I see in the left, like, peripheral, I see my father coming towards me. He has this very unique gait, and I, I knew it was him immediately. And as daddy's little girl, I just start sobbing because I'm his only daughter, right? Um, he's got sons. But I see him coming and I think, oh, he's here. Everything will be okay. The first thing he says to me in front of this group of firemen who were already feeling terrible was, hey, Hall, you having a fire cell? <laughs> and everybody stares immediately at me like, who's this guy now? I start laughing to the point of insane cackling because it took me so off guard and it lightened my whole day and I start laughing and now the fire department is laughing because they they're like who is this guy that's turned this girl into this sad lost you know person and now she's like okay you know what things are going to be okay they had blocked off the road and I have to give props to the press because they, the, the fire department has a PR person. Ryan Wilden actually did an amazing job for us. The press didn't come in and try to interview me or my husband. I would have been mortified. Michelle, you know me. I didn't have makeup on. I was wearing yoga <laughs> You're pants. You're in your yoga pants and tank top in December. <laughs> and fur boots. <laughs> So the press never, never interviewed me. They did interview my neighbors later on, but they didn't harass us in any way. Oh, good. We were surprised at some of the reporting in the news, though. Uh, some of the reports said that they didn't mention that we had children. They said a couple and their dog. Uh, oh. And the, from a fire caused in their master closet. Now, if I could give anyone else advice, never read the comments, people. Never read the comments. Story, Holly, I've learned that time and them. time again. Yeah. Never read the I'm comments. Sure. People are mean. People are so 
wicked and they believe headlines and they they don't read the story. They read that second of headline and everyone's like, well, I see insurance fraud and I see this and I yeah. see this. My husband and I were separated. We were both interviewed. The one thing the investigator told me is like, you know, if I ever thought this was fraud, you guys are idiots. Because yeah, you took a heck of a lot of loss. That could be expensive is in your house. I mean, from big, huge, you know, big screen TVs, you've got a brand new tree sitting there in a box. You've got this memorabilia room we had was expensive. It was worth about $250,000. Wow. My husband had signed, everything in there was signed by, you know, with Clint Eastwood. And we had boxers and I had all my raiders and he had his lions and Seahawks wow. and all signed, all all authenticated. Uh, my husband had Michael Jordan cards, rookie cards. We had, that was in our safe. A lot of that was saved, luckily, but. Yeah. We collect memorabilia because we're just really, we just love to collect. I had the whole Sopranos signatures, all of Sex and the City's signatures um, on their on their papers. And, oh, my goodness. So um, Shout out to Field of Dreams at Caesars College. So much loss, Holly. I just can't believe, I mean, thinking through, just adding up even the basic furniture, the dishes, the clothes, the towels, the linens, the bed sheets, everything in a home. That's a financial loss. The the time, you're obviously displaced from your home. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'd love for you to tell us how you, did you rebuild? Uh, what is? Did you move back into that home? Was that home totaled and demolished? And talk about kind of the resilience you learned along the way through this process. We'll be right back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Holly, you've lost everything from this super expensive collector things to the clothes, to the dishes, to the roof itself has collapsed on this home. How do everything. you, how do, what do you do? Do you rebuild? Do you demolish? Well, do you buy new? Where do you go? Well, I'll tell you that day of the news is reporting that our house was worth $350,000 and it burned down in Stansbury. This is the same time it's happening. Our stepson, my stepson found out about it on the news. We didn't get a chance to reach out to my husband's older children. He rushed to our aid. The sad part was I was so terrified there would be looters because we couldn't even get in the home that night. Yeah. They did have someone in the fire department stay the night to make sure the fire didn't start up again. It started around 9 a.m. It restarted again around 9 p.m. So 12 hours later, Sheriff Wimmer, Paul Wimmer, who I think maybe you know Michelle, but he actually... He actually had people outside the house just to protect it from being looted. Uh, Eric had called and had a fence company come in and install a fence completely around our property. That helped me sleep at night. Let me tell you the most insane feeling in the world. When you're snuggling your babies and you're sleeping in your dad's home and, you you know, you're safe. But you get up in the morning to brush your teeth and you don't have a toothbrush. 
you want to wash your face and put cream on, put makeup on. I mean, thank God for Berna's phone. She went and bought me makeup. (laughs) The house is still on fire. But she knows me so well. And, you know, there was a little bit of makeup that I I could put on. But to not brush your teeth, to not... To not be able to throw on clothes when you know you've got to get back there and and go through the rubble. And I sent Michelle some pictures. When I say rubble, I'm talking we had to get shovels and dig it out. Worse, when the snow comes, I'm looking for a diamond ring, my wedding ring. We looked and looked. The mirrors in our bathroom where it was had totally shattered. So there's glass everywhere. Then the ice comes, so there's ice everywhere, all of which looks like diamonds. And I have a brother who who spent the night there just sifting, sifting, sifting through everything. Another thing I have to mention is that I caught some of the fire department, these volunteers. I kind of snuck around the back and watched them as they're unloading stuff out of our memorabilia room. They were carrying my items so gently, so carefully. And two of the items they were carrying were urns of my German shepherds that had passed like they were theirs. And they placed them so gently. They treated my stuff so carefully. I was just driven to tears by that because they don't have to do that. They need to get this stuff out. They went in while the house was on fire so they could drag my husband's safe out so they could save the hard drives in our home that hadn't been damaged yet. These are heroes that do it as volunteers. I'm so stunned by that. So I owe so much. We got a lot of our memories protected and a lot of our, our assets that were of monetary value from our safe protected because of these heroes. Um, that is so awesome. So grateful. Yeah. It was amazing. Now we get to the next day into the next week. Now let me tell you another difficult yet beautiful part of the story. And that is my community. Strangers. Again, the FOP from every single chapter in the state, they sent money to give to my dad to help us get on our feet. Now, we did have insurance, but it doesn't kick in until you fight, and you fight for every penny, 66000 and you've lost 250000 on top of that. Right. They go through every single thing in your home that's salvageable, and they, they give you a price of what it's worth, and you're looking at them like, are you kidding me? This was an item we bought a year ago. It's virtually brand new. I mean, we, we had done many repairs to the home months before. We reinforced a lot of things. We, we just, it was like going through the pain all over again. But let me tell you the community. I ended up, I sent Michelle a picture. I ended up putting a sign on the fences because so many people that I don't know were coming and giving us money. They were giving us gift cards. They were dropping off bags of clothes. My neighbors were collecting things that people wanted to donate. A woman approached me, who I happen to know is out of work, who is a single mother who is struggling, just to give me $20 and to take it. I felt like it was ripping my heart out. But I knew she wanted to give it. She had to give it. And that was the hardest thing the people that donated to us, it broke my heart. And I'll tell you, it's a lesson in humility times a thousand because I am somebody who gives. I give it any opportunity I can give. And 
I always have been that way. My husband and I have always been that way. My husband has never had to take a dime from anyone in his life. And when people are walking up to him, handing him tools or handing him money, it's all he could do not to just run away because he didn't want them to see his emotion. He was so overwhelmed. We, My father's garage, the entire garage was filled with clothing and donations. And then a radio station chose our family for Christmas and to our surprise. And I didn't want to be a jerk, but I thought the families that we beat out, if they had the top five families and they chose us, I begged them, please take this stuff, give it to these other families. I don't want my littles to think that we have this huge tragedy and what comes of it is stuff and being spoiled. I want to use this Christmas to be one of preserving our family and that we're safe, that we're together, that home is wherever our heart and our family is, and that that we left stuff and we'll have Christmas. But I didn't want it to be this huge overload, which it was turning into because everyone is so kind. That weighed on me so heavy. All the kindness of people giving, and I just... I. I it was almost as traumatic, and I hate to say that. It sounds almost selfish, and I don't mean it to. But the overwhelming support and kindness was almost too much to bear. I, it I is hard. I, I'm, I'm nodding. I totally get it. That's how I felt when our house flooded and when my husband died. And it, like you said, you feel bad to even say that was hard to receive it. But the only analogy I can use is it's like you're trying to take a drink from a fire hose but somebody handed you a yeah. little sippy cup straw and you're just like, it's just oh, yeah. so much. It's so overwhelming. Well, so, my father, go knew, ahead. he knew that I was struggling and, you know, it was almost like, you know, the money, we were able to use the money to get in into a place and get out of his house. <laughs> I mean, he didn't mind us there, but it was like, you know, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and all these donations and everything. And he had a very, very good friend who happens to be my dentist and his dentist who works by a women's shelter. And it's actually for men and women. It's a family shelter. And my father was in the Rotary. And everyone in the Rotary donated to Jim's daughter who had just lost their home. And I work in the Rotary to assist my dad and gotten to know many people there prior but this dentist said, you know, they just opened up this need for donations here at this shelter because they have a lot of people down in St. George who could use the help. And they've got this shelter open, and it's a private thing. Um, if your daughter wants to donate anything, and my dad says, absolutely she does. She's got to unload this. Um, I had been delivering items. Anything brand new, toys, I took to the Children's Justice Center. I took the Tooele, a food bank. People donated food, and I took clothing and stuff. And I took my child, my son with me, who got to do the deliveries because I needed him to feel, you know, that amazing. He got pictures and stuff. People just loved him. He's just a ham. But as soon as they told me, I loaded a full trailer, one of those flatbeds that will hold, like, four ATVs. We loaded that entire thing with donations. And Amazing. it was my way to pay it forward to these 
people in need that were suffering, and this is more like a domestic violence situation where these these women were protected. They had to be under protective custody at all times. Their children must be protected. And to be able to send that stuff off, it took such a weight off of me to feel like I could pay it forward. And I have promised every person well, that and has donated to our family that I promise to pay it forward my entire life. And I have tried to do that. And, and you have. That. You have. It's part of the reason I love you so much. You just have a heart of service. And and you have. You've served the people in your community through the Republican Party and, and, and other venues as well. So, Holly, before we go, this has been a powerful conversation about loss. Tell us, what does resilience mean to you? Oh, you know, I have a very strong faith in my Heavenly Father. I think that in this life, these bad things happen to us because we've come to this earth. And I know not everyone agrees, but I really believe that we come to this earth. We choose the souls that surround us. We choose the people we meet when we meet them prior to our coming here. And we choose the challenges that may face us because we want to learn I look at every situation as a learning experience. You know, my husband and I grieved this differently. He shut down. I had to talk about it. It was so challenging on our marriage. It was so challenging with the fight for the insurance company to go through all your items. You feel so gluttonous. Like I have all this stuff and they're putting price tags on it. Then you go through a year of the contractor. We did rebuild. We had to replace the entire foundation. We had to bulldoze but we wanted to stay in Stansbury because there is no greater community to me. I couldn't leave this community. I couldn't leave it after how I was treated and these strangers who didn't even know me. And some of them knew me and didn't like me because of politics. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yep. they still and they helped. still helped. That's what's yep. so beautiful. They still I thought it was beautiful. I, I, I could not ask for a better community. Even the people who disagree with me, I always try to treat them with respect. I always try to hear them out. And I always try to just use facts and not emotion. But I will break down every time when it comes to the kindness of community shows. We did rebuild. My husband and I sat down at a table with an architect, and I got to design every single inch of my new home. That was hope. For a time we had zero hope, that all of a sudden got us both excited that we're rebuilding and then we went into this world when with our contractors that were way overdue on deadline and way over budget. And that was scary. But what I did and what I've learned, both through the loss of, of my person and through the loss of my items and the rebuild of our home, is with every hardship, there are blessings tenfold. And grief, grief doesn't have a time limit. There's lots of books on grief. But there's no way to tell you your individual soul, how to do it correctly. It's just you do it any way that you can. And there are times I will still go to get something that I think I own that I love in the fire. Still, and it's been this many years, and I grieve it. I I grieve it so much. And for a moment it comes in waves, and I just let it come, and I'll cry a little bit, and I'll hurt a little bit, and then I'll think back to those people that were there for me, to my father, who by the time the UPS truck shows up with our delivery, which, by the way, was supposed to be delivered on Monday, our fire happened on Tuesday. For some reason, the delivery got delayed one day. This was all our daughter's Christmas. 
Oh, wow. So when they show up on Tuesday, they couldn't get through the roadblocks. Finally, fire department lets them in. It was when they were selling the Amazon fire. That was their big item. Um, so it's taped all over the box. My dad grabs it and says, hey, you guys, the fire extinguishers arrived. The UPS <laughs> guy nearly fainted. Like he just, he was so stunned. He's staring at this house just literally burning to the ground before his eyes. But it was just a little moment. And the fire investigator said to me, you know what? I've never seen a family that is going through so much be so calm, collected, and just finding humor in things. And I said, it's, it's because, you know, we got lucky. Families don't always get lucky. They lose somebody. And when the investigators told us where the fire started, I watched my husband drop to his knees, and I looked in his face, and I, you know, I, I wanted to yell, like, why would you light a candle? You know, I had to say nothing. What he was saying in his own face, in his own heart, was all I could stand. I got to my knees with him, and I held him as tight as I could, and I just said, look, this would happen to any of us, any time. It's nobody's fault. We are alive, our babies are alive, that is a blessing. Let's look for the blessings. And now I can be a victim or I can be a teacher. And I choose to be a teacher to others and share my story. You know, Michelle, I also have a near-death experience too, so we could come on again. But (laughs) (laughs) I died in a swimming pool in 2002. So my view on faith and heaven and the other side is, I'm a little more like dedicated to that, but I, I truly believe that God was with us that day. We had one thing survive from our fire, and I am not kidding. The fire department came out and asked my husband, do you realize what I just pulled out of your fire? And everything's ruined, water damage especially. We have a picture that is done in pencil. It didn't have glass over it. It's a picture of Jesus with a crown of thorns. There's not wow. one piece wow. of damage to it, not one. And it was on the exact same wall of the closet that my daughter was in. And Surfpro, which came out to try to salvage our things, they asked if they could advertise it on their Facebook page because they they were there when they pulled it out. They never would have believed it had they not right. seen it for almost, themselves. Yeah, almost unbelievable. Well, that, and we keep that with us everywhere we live. Yeah. <laughs> I love, Holly, I love what you've shared about the importance of letting people help, of learning to let people help. I think that's such a huge part of resilience. I love what you said about having to choose, choose to help yeah. other people, choose to teach, choose to move forward and find you know some good from these terrible, awful things where it could have just been easy to say this is terrible and awful and I'm going to sit in how awful it is. And I think we all agree that's that's what makes that resilience piece is the conscious choice to learn and then to try to help someone else learn. I also liked what you said about how you and your husband grieved this loss differently. And that's okay. And I think we yeah. need to be really aware that we're going to grieve differently. For him, it was quiet. It was introspective. It was, oh, my gosh, I can't you know, talk about this. It's, it's just too much. And for you, you needed to talk about this. And I think we can be okay with each other's different approaches and respect them for what they are. We're not going to handle even the same situation the same way. And that too is part of resilience, that my resilience can include letting you be resilient in your way and not feeling like I have to put my approach onto you or feel like you're doing it wrong. And like you said, there's a million books on grief and, and hardship 
That doesn't mean there's a step-by-step, here's exactly how you do it. There's no right or wrong way. You just take it a day at a time. And I think all of that is part of the resilience, the choice of the attitude, the moving forward, the looking for the lessons and the hope, and then sharing it with others. Absolutely. It's, it's truly the beauty of what makes us individuals, what makes us important, what makes us choose our own destiny, how we handle hardship. I know Michelle wrote eloquent words, and, and her words moved me during her grief. And my father was coughing slowly, and I was updating people every day, and I found the words to to help people know and to inform and to try to help, give people hope, knowing that I was losing it every day. And, you know, I could never have gotten through that fire without him, without the incredible community, and without the fire department of first responders, our sheriff's department, and, you know, my family, my family that came to my rescue. And you don't know who you need until they are right there next to you, holding you up, and you're thinking, you know, I'll never get through this. You look one day to the next, and all I could do, all I could do is put the next right thing, from movie Frozen 2, the song where Anna sings, yeah. I just have to do the Disney next nailed it. Yeah, yeah, Disney nailed they, it with nailed that it. one. I, yep, I've, I've had this discussion before. Every time. Uh, it's powerful. Because it's absolutely true. We get up in the morning and we can lay in bed and cry all day, or we can just get up and make a cup of coffee and then get on the phone with the people we need to call or get to work and just do the next right thing, and that can take us through the day. And at the end of the day, we can say, I nailed it. I did it. I got through another day. And that goes with so many things, so many things in our daily lives. Absolutely. And well, Holly, thank you f- so much for coming yes, on thank today. You. We appreciate you sharing this story. And we're definitely going to have you on again. It'll probably come out closer to me around the police officer uh what is that police week national police national police week um and so we'll definitely have you on again for that um i appreciate you coming on and sharing this story i of course knew the story watched it all unfold and watch you uh really come through some really difficult times during that time and and then of course have have watched that process with your father which has been hard as a uh bystander someone who loves you to, and we don't live close proximity, but to to see that that process of grief as well. So I, I look forward to talking to you about um, your superhero. But thank you for coming if on I, today. Can I just add one little thing, Michelle? Yep. That every message, no matter how big, how small, phone calls, they're tough when you're grieving. But messages and messenger and little quotes, you know, little tiny things to lift people up. I read every single one, and you never let me out of your sight. And you didn't have to do that, but you were there for me. And there were so many people there for me just checking in. And I just, I, I, you make me want to be a better person because until I lost someone I love so dearly, I had no idea the camp that I was in. I just joined a new club of loss. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, it made me yeah. want to be a better friend and a better person. Yeah. And you've inspired me yeah. greatly. And Jenny, a pleasure to talk to you. I want to hear your story. I would love to go meet with you guys. and have Yes, lunch. we need to do yes, lunch. Yes. So many things that you shared about um, 
building your home, the hope that gave you. We're in the process of building a new home, and I, I can see so many parallels when there's a physical reminder of the hope that is in our lives. So we'll have to do lunch, Michelle. You'll have to connect us. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Holly, for sharing your story. We look forward to future stories with you. If you're listening, we hope you. you will go find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like and a rating and a review. And if you're willing to share your story with us and with our listeners, we would love for you to do that. You can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And you can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, Holly. Thank you, guys. Blessed day for you both. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.